This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. It's time for football. Just for kicks on BFM 89.9. Hello and welcome to Just for Kicks, the international edition, but not just internationals, here on BFM. And our two pundits, alongside myself, Cam Raslan, we have Sean Mahotra. Hello, 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 everyone. Hope you've had a great week of international football. Now we're going back to league football. Not yet, not, not yet. yet. Calm not down, yet. calm down. <laughs> and uh, we have Asran Rosain. Hey, guys. Hope everyone is okay. I'm similar with Sean. Looking forward to the big game this weekend. Asran is a Liverpool fan, so he cares nothing for international football. <laughs> I've, I, I've, like, Liverpool's fans are the worst. Um <laughs> So, uh, no offence. So, we move on. We're going to go internationals. We're going to do half of this show internationals. And the, the second half, we're going to be taking listeners' questions and talking about football in the wider context. But let's begin with the internationals. And I want to start, guys, with you. Sorry. England 2, Ukraine nil. Now, Sean, I was expecting Ukraine to, to, to be better than this. And dare I say, Gareth Southgate has taken the handbrake off uh i they, they were put they were passing the ball around in a very pretty fashion i think I, I, i've seen this before though i mean if, if you look at england when they play at home in wembley most of the time they're gonna you know outplay most most teams and it showed again the scoreline really you know it flatters ukraine because i think it could have been way more hurricane could have scored a hat-trick by the way already congratulations and hurricane breaking the england record for goals could have scored a hat-trick in this game I mean, England's players were top-notch. Every single one of them played out of their skin. The two players I want to really look at are who are in similar-ish positions, though they're on different sides of the wing on different teams. But Bukayo Saka and uh, Mikhailo Mudrik, Bukayo Saka was playing out of his skin. Just like he has this entire season, he has been unbelievable. But then you look at the other side and you look at Mudrik, it looks like a player is totally out of confidence, totally out of his depth. And mind you, this was a player that Arsenal wanted to sign, but he looks a shadow of himself. Saka outplayed him in every sense, right? Saka was also dropping back and helping in defence, while Mudrik looked like a, like a passenger up forward, hardly coming back to help his team. England were just levels above Ukraine in this game. Yeah, and Asran mentioned uh, Saka and indeed Kane. A lot of the players for England don't play regular football for their clubs. Conor Gallagher t- popped up. Maguire hardly gets a game for United. Um, this is like, this is kind of the recruiting that Wales does. It's kind of weird. Yeah, we've spoken about this and the fact that um, Gareth Southgate has got his favourites. You know? It's clear that he's got a bunch of players that he trusts. And the thing about that is, you know, in all these qualification tournaments, he does pretty well at it. I mean, you've seen them qualifying for the World Cup and the previous Euros really smoothly. I think the question is, can he make that step up during the tournament itself? Well, he did fall short at the final hurdle in the European Championships, um, the previous edition. But the World Cup was a bit of, uh, you know, it was a bit of a sad end in the end. True, they lost against a really, really good France squad that could and might have won the World Cup if not for Lionel Messi's magic. But I think the big question for Gareth Southgate is not uh, so much about this qualification uh, round because we know that he's really good at it, even with the players that he trusts. Uh, you mentioned it. I mean, these players do not really have play regular football, but yet 
they they are good enough eh, against especially England has been lucky to be drawn in fairly straightforward qualification brackets. Uh, but yeah, the big question is um, this players if they continue not to start for their respective clubs and Gareth Southgate continues to play them, especially during the big tournaments, that's going to be probably his downfall. I hope it doesn't happen though because he's got a bunch of good players coming up, playing really good for their respective clubs. He should pick players based on form and I hope he does that uh, when when it really matters. That's the thing. I think like he will still... I mean, we've been saying this for so long. We hope that during you know the bigger tournaments like the Euros or the World Cup that he will play players that you know based on form and everything but I think a great indication is again Calvin Phillips does he play well for England 110% he does play well for England but he's only got like 58 minutes in the league this season for City he's still gonna I'm very certain on this that he's still gonna pick his child and trusted players no matter what the tournament even if it was friendlies it'd still be the same players yeah, because uh, Calvin Phillips played for longer against Italy than he has for his yep. own club. <laughs> I want to ask you a general question, both of you, before we move on to France. Um, you know, this show, this show uh, just for kicks, we, we we really focus on the English Premier League, and so therefore the England team kind of comes up top. But should we really do that? Are England in the top bracket, or are they a quarterfinal kind of team? Should we be looking at? I mean, Germany are not involved in these qualifiers. France are doing pretty well. Can England really do anything? Um, obviously, we all agree that the English Premier League is the most exciting league in the world. And nowadays, I think it's produced a number of really good young players. Uh, and some of them play for England. And for me, if you talk about the England national squad under Gareth Southgate, to be fair to him, he's done really well. I mean, he's done well compared to previously. Because we know that the English media always hypes the English team up and they fall short. But Gareth Southgate's team, if you look at it in the previous World Cup, they fell short uh, in the European... Just that final hurdle. I think the big question, based on, again, similar to what Sean mentioned just now, is I hope once he decides to pick players through to their form, I think they've got a good chance to actually at least compete uh, for the next European Championship or even the World Cup. Again, obviously, after this, we're going to preview France, who is a different scary team altogether. But England, honestly, I think it's a very, very good team. And uh, Sean, do you think England are in that bracket, that top bracket? Definitely. I mean, I, I look back to the the fact that, you know, the golden generation was supposedly the 90s team, you know, with the likes of Shearer, Beckham, Owen, and I could keep going on about those players, right? But you look at the players that England have now, the young players who are coming through, your Sakas of the world, your your Rashfords and so on. There's so, many, so much talent in that England team from back to front. I just think tactically they're not at the level of the likes of France or Argentina or any of those those teams who are competing for the big trophies right now. But if they get it tactically right, they have the players to win major tournaments. So I think they just need to get it tactically right. And I don't think Gareth Southgate's that guy. Ooh, okay. <laughs> you heard it here. Not first. A lot of people have been saying that. Okay, let's talk about uh, the... France, we've only left three minutes for this, but France for Netherlands nil. France absolutely swept the Dutch aside. And some of some of the movements, some of the goals just took my breath away. There was a through ball to Mbappe for his first and Griezmann's goal and Mbappe's second goal. Azran, wow, they look good. This is a really scary French squad. Now we've got Lionel Messi and the fact that he's won the World Cup out of the equation. I think this 
French team is there to stay. Again, they've won the last couple of championships as well. They were, as we mentioned just now, they were unlucky not to win the World Cup. With this team, Mbappe being captain at this young age, with, again, they've got they've got the whole solid squad, even at the defence. We've got uh, Upamecano as well as, obviously, my favourite player. <laughs> the other one who plays for Liverpool. So, again, they've got great squad all throughout. And, again, with a manager who knows his team inside out in Didier Deschamps, Honestly, I would probably, at this point of time, tip them to be the next uh, European champions. And uh, I want to just pop up one, one observation I had because uh, my football knowledge is not so great. But I saw when Griezmann scored his goal, and I'm always thinking about the Griezmann role. Uh, when he popped up, I suddenly thought, hey, what's Frank Lampard doing on the pitch? Mm-hmm. Uh, it was, uh, Sean, he, he is the Frank Lampard of uh, France now, is he not? I mean, you could look at it that way. I think, you know, he's evolved. I wouldn't say in a club level he's evolved his game that much because he's been told to play a certain way for his club. But in France, he, I feel like he has a more free role in that team. He's literally just behind, you know, the attacking players and he provides so much to that French team. I think he's one of the most underrated players in that current French team because people look at him and, you know, relate him to the whole Barcelona, Atletico Madrid saga, but in reality, it's like you said, he has that Frank Lampard-ish role where he's creative and he can score goals. Right. Well, uh, in a moment, we're going to come back and talk some more internationals and also internationals in a broader sense here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself and Sean and Azran. And now, Azran, you said last week it's Luxembourg nil, Portugal 6. You said last week that the match where Portugal beat, I can't even, Liechtenstein, that that was going to be Cristiano Ronaldo's testimonial. He's there again. He scored two <laughs> what, goals. What I forgot to mention, it's, it's his testimonials rather than just a single <laughs> testimonial game. You know, oh, okay. it's Liechtenstein. I mean, Liechtenstein, after that, lost 7-0 at home against Iceland. I mean, that was a no-brainer. And again, the second game that they played away to Luxembourg, Liechtenstein and Luxembourg are not really... European powerhouses. So, again, to be fair to Cristiano Ronaldo, though, he did play well. I mean, scoring two goals in two internationals is no easy feat. But the big question for me is, in a couple of months, when they play against Bosnia, will he still be selected? Again, it totally depends on how he plays for Al Nasser, I suppose. It was no sign of disrespect against Cristiano Ronaldo because I think he has, you know, kept himself fit and proven himself to be one of the best players uh, for the past decade or so. But he's 38 years old. But he's 38 years old. And the good thing about this uh, Portuguese side is they've got a bunch of good young players coming up. So for me, if I was Roberto Martinez, would I want to bank on a 39 years old Cristiano Ronaldo in the championship next next year? Maybe not. So probably if it was me, I would probably select young players who would be able to, you know, go with me for the next couple of years. But yeah, stranger things have happened. So I still stick to my words. It was testimonials because it, they were really easy games. Um, but yeah, let's see in the next uh, qualifying uh, matches in, in the middle of the year. John, uh, Portugal kind of like surprise. I, I mean, I often feel like they're down and out. Then they, they achieve something. They've won the European Championship themselves. And they don't seem to have all of the the, the young Portuguese players on the pitch that uh, that they have. Are there players missing, do you think? I think, I, I look back to the Belgian squad, you know, like a decade ago or so, 
they had so much talent in their team, right? And they were all at the, the peak of their prowess. And they were all still really young, right? Your De Bruyne's, your Lukaku's and so on. You look at this Portugal team, which is funny enough, also coached by Roberto Martinez, and he has an array of talent to choose from, from back to front, right? You have so many players that he can choose from. Their midfield alone has, what, like six or seven different options that they could go for. You saw Nunez come on later on, Palinha put in a great assist. You've still got Moutinho, I mean, uh, sorry, you've still got uh, uh, Bruno, Bernardo Silva. There's so many options for that Portugal team. Part of me feels that Ronaldo will still be at the Euros come next year. Mm. My thought process on that is if you take out Giancarlo Ramos from that front line, right, from their striker lineup, who do you have to replace him entirely? You know, you're going to put a lot of pressure on this young 22-year-old or so to, to, to deliver all these goals for you at the Euros next season. Ronaldo, no matter what's said and done, is still a senior figure in that Portuguese team. He's still their captain. And he's still someone that can influence the team a lot. I don't think he will stutter the performance of uh, the young talent that are coming through. Rafael Liao came on in the second half later on, put in an amazing performance. Again, Luxembourg is nothing to you know, chat about. But you want to see these young players perform. And they're given the chance to perform. Whether Martinez gives them the chance to do that all throughout this qualification and into the Euros next year remains to be seen. Yeah, but that's the thing though, Sean, because with Cristiano Ronaldo starting, Rafael Leao only got, what, 11 minutes. And in 11 minutes, he, what, assisted one goal, missed the pen, scored another goal, a good goal at that. So the thing is, I would like to see players like this, actually, this is their opportunity to shine, especially when you play Luxembourg, you know, you should allow this place to start. But okay, fair enough. That's why I thought for Cristiano Ronaldo, for the service he's provided the country for the last previous decade, two matches that he can score, rack up his goals. He's now scored, what, 122 goals in international competition, which is fantastic. But moving forward, I would like to see all these young players coming up. And, you know, we've got Diogo Jota uh, waiting in the ranks. And these sort of players are going to serve Portugal for the next decade. Yeah. And as we all know, Cristiano Ronaldo will be very happy to be a super sub uh, and, you know, <laughs> sit on the bench most of the time. Yeah, that's the problem, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, uh, Sean, Spain 3, Norway nil, And Haaland was not playing for Norway, sadly. I think that if he had been playing, then they, then Norway could have at least kept the level, uh, the, the scoreline level, maybe even won that match. There were opportunities for Haaland to pop up. But in his absence, uh, Spain looked good. They looked kind of, they looked brand new. And there were a lot of brand new players there, um, including a manager who I'd never uh, heard of before. Oh, De La Fuente. Uh, the thing is with Spain, I mean, they're blessed, again, just like Portugal, they're blessed with talent, right? But it's funny that a 33-year-old who made his debut for Spain is the one that came up with the two clutch goals in the second half to win them or comfortably win them the game. José Lu, who used to play in the Premier League as well for Newcastle, now plays at Espanyol. I think with Spain, it's more of a project now because you look at these new coaches who are coming in to, to their roles, right? Like Brazil has a new interim coach of sorts as well. They're bringing in players that you wouldn't expect to be in their teams, but you have to understand as well, it's it's new for them. They want to assess all their options. There may be players that you may never heard of or not performing at a certain level, but it's for the coaches to decide for themselves. International form and league form is two extremely different things, right? You'd be blessed if both work perfectly in, in, in sync. But I think you saw a Spain team that looked very confident 
they could have scored more. I mean, they scored their last two goals in the last 10 minutes, I think, to win the game 3-0. But that Spain team looked dangerous. You had a good blend of, of youth and also experience in the team to get you past the line. About Norway, even if they had Haaland in there, I don't think they would have been able to keep up to, to Spain, maybe get a goal at max, you know. Mm. And just one thing to look at is how Rodri almost ended Odegaard's season. I don't know how that wasn't a red card and I don't know how that wasn't a penalty. <laughs> uh, Asran, Spain, uh, they don't have a striker. Well, they don't have a really good striker. And, well, I mean, that's been said for like 50 years. Uh, <laughs> ever, ever since, I don't know, Raul or something. Uh, is that a problem? No, not necessarily. Anyway, they are only, well, their most recognisable senior striker is the captain, the national captain now in Alvaro Morata. That sort of raised a bit of eyebrows for everyone. Why Alvaro Morata? Because he hasn't been the most prolific of strikers. He, hasn't been, suppose... he has not been a prolific striker. <laughs> <laughs> Especially for, for those who watch the Premier League, again, his stint in England was an absolute disaster. But anyway, I think De La Fuente, because back to, I think I would echo what Sean said, it's definitely a project. You've chosen a manager, not by the fact that he's got great credentials at club level, but this is a manager that has coached the youth squads of Spain at the various levels, so he knows a number of the players. So you can see that his team is a blend of really good young players coming up the ranks, as well as some senior established uh, players such as Morata, and that's why Morata was given the captaincy. Back to your question of an established striker, I think the way Spain plays, the way how they flow, uh, they just require, again, that's why Jose Lu came on at 33 years old, one of the oldest deputies. I think it's his birthday today. It's, he's only 33 today. But nevertheless, at 32 years and 364 days, <laughs> one of the oldest debutants to come in and score two goals. I think they would probably select this sort of players to give a bit of experience, but then mix it up with all these young, great players like um, Jeremy Pino, Gavi, and all these players had a fantastic game. Uh, I, I, I am excited to see... Spain play, uh, but again, at this point of time, you will probably only see the results in four to six years because you've got great teams already, established teams like France and England, who we spoke about just now, that will probably be challenging for the absolute titles. And uh, Sean, tiki-taka, is that still a thing or are they playing a bit more direct now? I think it's a bit hard to play a full tiki-taka when you have a lot of old players on that pitch, so things slow down a lot more, but I think it's a lot more clean in a sense it's a lot more systematic in the way they play they know who their creative players are they know who to go to for certain outlets but they're not going to see free-flowing Del Bosque kind of football in this Spain team mm. okay guys I want to move on to uh, a more general talk about internationals especially in the European context uh, because all the other results were pretty standard and to be expected, apart from two, perhaps Denmark got beaten by Kazakhstan. Oh my goodness me. How did that happen? Especially you've got the Rasmus Hoyland, the other wonder kid, who scored a hat-trick in his debut at home against Finland. 3-1, it was an exciting game. He scored in the very last, well, last couple of minutes to win the game. And in Kazakhstan, they were leading away 2-0. He's got two goals, so he's got five goals in two games. And yet they lost in the last 20 minutes, what they considered the three goals. I mean, one of it was a penalty. The second was a wonder goal from outside the box. And the third one was just the fact that I think they were already deflated and Kazakhstan was piling the pressure on. So again, for Denmark, two games, really exciting matches, but unfortunately only three points to show out of it. Uh, it's sad. Yeah, back to what you mentioned, uh, Cam. Most of the results were more of a standard one, but this Kazakhstan result was quite a big shock, especially given the fact that Kazakhstan's first game was a loss at home. 
where they were leading 1-0 and yet they lost to, I think it was Slovenia, uh, 2-1. So, uh, I suppose Denmark gave the fans or the, the neutral fans something to look forward to uh, during the international break. I'm going to have to make a note of that. Azran Rosane is clearly our go-to guy for Kazakhstan football analysis. <laughs> <laughs> Next time it comes up. Uh, and uh, and also, uh, Wales held Croatia uh, in the very last seconds. I just want to ask Sean very quickly then. Um, the dark horses. Dark horses, I mean, this is the early stages of the qualifications, but Denmark really failed at the World Cup. A dark horse is a possibility to be able to win anything these days. Or is it just the big countries? I mean, there's every chance a dark horse can win, you know, a big tournament. It happened in what, I I can't remember what year it was, but definitely when I was a child, when Denmark won the Euros, that was the last time they had that that golden team, right? Mm. You look at this current Danish squad, my biggest fear is that we were so hyped, but now you have a lot of older players in that team. Aside from Hoyland, who sounds like Harlan, is coming through. You don't see many young players coming through that Danish team that can give you a bit more hope. So I think there's going to be a fear there. And if you put all your eggs in one basket in terms of their young striker, that's a big risk to have. I wouldn't consider Denmark a dark horse anymore in that sense. All right. Well, we're going to have to go for a break now. But in a moment, we're going to get back to the EPL, which will make our two guys very happy. Here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. And we're back with myself, Cam Raslan, Asran Rosain and Sean Mahutra here on Just for Kicks. And now um, the guys are very excited about the idea of the return to English Premier League football. And so we're going to talk uh, general terms, uh, general topics, take this opportunity to talk this. And we have to start with the news that has come out from Tottenham Hotspur that they have sacked Antonio Conte. So, Azran, this must be the most unexpected news to ever happen in the history of press conferences where managers have slagged off their club. <laughs> I, I think when it comes to the international break, two two managerial changes happened. I think obviously there were two shocks at, at that. Uh, Antonio Conte's dismissal from Spurs was less shocking, given the fact I think we spoke at length about how he sort of slagged off the Tottenham board and players and everyone else, and the fact that he is out of contract in the summer. We knew he was going to go, uh, but Spurs had to make that decision to sack him, given the fact that they're in a top four race, which will define their season this year. And obviously in the top four race, they are fighting against a really good resurgent United team, a Newcastle team that is finding it very difficult to lose, but yet they draw too many and they drop too many points. So they don't win much either, but they hardly lose. And a Liverpool team that is very similar to Spurs, one week on, one week off. So Conte, we knew he was going to go. I think we all spoke about the fact that we never saw him beyond the summer, but he went earlier. Is it a bit of a shock? Maybe the thing is, I think perhaps they also reacted with the other sacking, the fact that um, Bayern Munich sacked uh, Julian Nagelsmann. That was a bit of a shock, no? I mean, Bayern, obviously they are stuttering in the Bundesliga. They've only won, what, five out of the last ten matches and they're second in the league at this point of time. But they have won every single game in the Champions League. So the thing is, with Julian Nagelsmann, there were talks about internal risks with players and whatnot, but some players, senior players like Leon Goretzka have gone out and said, no, there were no problems at all. But 
again, the board, uh, especially through Hassan Salihamidzic and Oliver Khan, have decided, look, the th- the thing is with Julian Nagelsmann, last season, they started in the second half of the season. This year, they are continuing to do so. So it's more towards for the future. And I believe they wanted to get Tuchel in before Spurs did. Mm. So that's one of the reasons. So I think uh, Bayern shot the trigger first. Sack Nagelsmann got to hell. I think uh, Spurs was planning that. Unfortunately, now Spurs are left in a limbo. So maybe they will probably... I think the funny thing about it is now Nagelsmann is the favourite to take on the Spurs seat uh, come summer. But obviously, he wouldn't take it now because it's such a risk to take a team right smack in mid-season, especially when they're not playing uh, with all cylinders uh, firing. Yeah, uh, Sean, Nagelsmann to Spurs? Well, I mean, Roy Hodgson's already been taken by <laughs> Crystal Palace, so that, that one's out. <laughs> I who, mean, who to Spurs? And and this season, I, I think they, I, they can't wait until summer. They've got to take someone now. Nah, I, I think right. Uh, there was reports already that, you know, Conte's previous assistant will be taking over and Ryan Mason will be his understudy of sorts. I don't think they'll bring in a, a, a first-team like manager right now because it's coming close to the end of the season. Yes, there are priorities to get a top-four position, but I don't think you know they'll be looking at a manager right now. My view about Julian Nagelsmann is I love him as a manager. You know, I really liked watching his Leipzig teams. Biggest problem is he's a project-based manager. Right? You look at the previous two managers that Spurs have had in Conte and Jose, they're not project-based managers. They bring you success immediately if you give them money. Nagelsmann needs to build his team, much like Pochettino did at, uh, at Spurs. I feel there's a high chance, if Ancelotti doesn't leave Real Madrid, that Julian Nagelsmann will go to Spurs. Because the reports are also that Real Madrid may be interested in Julian Nagelsmann, but the expectations of the two clubs are very different. At Real Madrid, you're expected to deliver season in, season out. At Spurs... Your expectations are top four and maybe we try to get a trophy, which I think fits more into the Julian Nagelsmann role. The risk is if you go to Spurs at the age of 35, he's one of the youngest coaches in European football right now. And if he comes to the Premier League, he will be the youngest manager in, in the Premier League. Spurs has been known to kill managers. and You wouldn't <laughs> want that for someone so young who has a huge prospect ahead of him. I don't want to see him coach Spurs, but I think between the two, you can't say no to Real Madrid. Mm. If they come mm. calling. Yeah, talking about young managers, the last time a young manager coached Spurs in Village Boas that, that didn't work out either. So but however, Sean, talking about the project, Spurs are not going to spend money, are they? So if they are okay and if they get to the fact that look, they're not unless they were really willing to spend for success, they're not going to they're not going to to challenge for the Premier League. But at best, they go far in the Champions League, in the cup competitions. And I think Nagelsmann is someone who can lead Spurs to those sort of glory, uh, at least in the short term. There was a Spurs fan, I'm sorry to like make this longer, but there was a Spurs fan who used to be a journalist in the UK who said what Conte said wasn't entirely wrong, right? No, yeah. About the mentality. You go into Carrington, you see Carrington United's training ground, you see pictures and trophies of players who've won big trophies, right? Same thing at uh, Melwood, same thing at Cobham. But when you go into Spurs training ground, the only thing you see is Jimmy Greaves' goal-scoring record. So you don't have that conscious mentality to go in there and be like, wow, I have a legacy to live up to. You go in there and be like, I'm going to bake that you know, goal-scoring record, which is what Harry Kane has done. So why I feel a young manager could do a lot more for Spurs, you build that mentality from a very early stage instead of coming in and be like, I expect all of you to win already, which is what Conte and Jose had. Well, pick a name then. Who do you think would be Honestly, I, I don't know if Daniel Levy can can swallow his pride 
but I think bringing back Pochettino would be their best thing. Mm. Mm. Someone who already knows that squad. Okay, uh, Asran, I want to ask you a question. Uh, I'll just continue this on for a little bit longer. Conte, Antonio Conte, will he get a job ever again? Because he is enormously disruptive. I mean, he's had success, but equally, he's just been a really whiny guy. But that's he's tailor suited for the Serie A. Most Serie A managers, I mean, of the past, we know they've got that character to them. And Conte has got such a good reputation in the Serie A. I think he wouldn't have issues finding a job. The big question is, will he get a job at a big Italian Serie A club? I think that's a big question. Obviously, Juventus are the foreigners, being his former club. But again, back to what Sean mentioned just now, the fact that maybe Pochettino should come back. For me... You know, very rarely do managers succeed the second time round. So, I, 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 again, it's going to be, I know even if, I mean, if I was Pochettino, if for Pochettino it's himself, he's, I'm sure he will question himself, look, I've got such a good reputation with the fans and everything else, will I sully it by if I don't perform as well in my second stint? And I think a lot of managers have unfortunately done so in their second stint, it wasn't so so good, no? Uh, so, I would think, if... Daniel Levi can swallow his pride. I think Nagelsmann is the man for, for Spurs. But back to the Conte question, Conte is either Juventus or, you know, with the Serie A, you can build your name up with one of the other uh, clubs and then you get another gig, another shot at one of the big uh, mega clubs. But for me, uh, I don't see a problem for Conte getting a job. I mean, he's tailor-made for the Serie A. Yeah, and I think that young Germans are the way to go these days. <laughs> That's it's so much more fashionable than an old Italian uh, or a, or a uh, Argentinian for that matter. So, uh, Sean, last time we were on, Patrick Vieira had been sacked by um, by Crystal Palace, and surprisingly, they did not re- uh, recruit Ted Lasso. I think <laughs> that Ted Lasso would 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 fit Crystal Palace so perfectly. But anyway. Um, Instead, they got this young manager, uh, Roy Hodgson. Oh. You know, uh, I, I mean, I'm a, it's a bit of a head scratcher to me because you gave a very good argument for 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 why they shouldn't have sacked Patrick Vieira that he had changed things there and that they had a run of bad form, uh, but not bad form, but you know, difficult fixtures. What what's the thinking with getting back Roy Hodgson, who is seventy six? I want to say. <laughs> that thing is the fact that you have to go into the 70 mark already is making you question a lot of things right as a fan who doesn't even support Crystal Palace it makes you question the thing when Roy Hodgson decided to retire and he left Palace they brought in a so-called young and up-and-coming manager in Patrick Vieira who had already earned his stripes plays attractive football gets young talent in doesn't really look at old heads as much they had a style of football that was working they had a style of football that the fans could enjoy. It wasn't just, let's just loft the ball upfield and hope our big striker gets the ball and does something with it. Or loft the ball to Wilfred Zaha and make him do something. That was Roy Hodgson's style of football. I mean, Azran should know he used to manage Liverpool. But uh, the, the, the thing that really baffles me is the fact that you have this group of players now who have gotten used for the last, what, two years or so of playing a certain way where it's quick passes, systematic football, get through defence to midfield to attack and not just loft the ball forward. You bring Roy Hodgson in, it's a total reset back to this old fossil football that I don't think this current team can do. So I feel this is, you know, from a point of view where I thought, oh, wow, they were perfectly fine in what, 12th or 13th where they are now. There is a risk that they could get dragged down into that that dogfight down there because these are players who are not used to playing 
in this really old-fashioned manner. So mm. it still baffles me. I don't know what the thought process is of bringing Roy Hodgson in. Maybe it's just, let's just get him to the end of the season and then we'll find someone else. But again, it's not sustainable. It's possible that Roy Hodgson in this time off, you know, he's grown a ponytail, he's kind of a bit chill now, uh, tie-dyed trousers. I, I don't know. Hey, Asran, I want to ask about Patrick Vieira. I mean, he is so associated with Arsenal. But I, I, I was impressed, actually, by the, the, the style of football that he played. It kind of petered out at the end. He is up for grabs. He's a. Will people be going for Patrick Vieira? The thing is, currently, I mean, we, we there were a couple of seasons ago when uh, you didn't have enough choices. If you were to sack your manager, you didn't have any available replacement, which are available already. Uh, this time around, I think come the summer, we've got a number of good managers who might be available and out of a job. Uh, Vera is one of them. Uh, I think you mentioned it, Cam, that he brings about a nice, vibrant style of football. I think he did that at Nice in the uh, League One, brought that to Crystal Palace. Somehow, unfortunately for him, I think at the end of the day, it was results, but maybe there was something happening behind the scenes as well. Uh, why I say that is the fact that they've gone back to Roy Hodgson brings, gives me the impression that the board wanted someone who they trust, who they know, who gets along very well with them. But I still echo my previous sentiment that I don't think managers should return to their former clubs because it's very rarely a success. And for Hodgson as well, I don't see where he can, where I mean, where else he can can he bring um, Crystal Palace? I mean, I don't see him bring Crystal Palace upwards. My concern, I think, as what uh, Sean mentioned, is suddenly they're dragged back down. I mean, I hope that doesn't happen for Crystal Palace, but it's a strong possibility. But back to Vieira. Uh, the thing about very unfortunately for him is there are also a number of other managers who have won titles. Unfortunately for Vera, he hasn't won any big title yet. So there will be a number of, I mean, Nagelsmann was one of them, Conte, Pochettino. I mean, he hasn't won um, the big ones, but uh, he's got probably a bigger reputation than Patrick Vera. So for Patrick Vera, I don't think the big clubs will go for him, uh, but he will get and I hope he gets a, a decent-sized club, either in the Premier League or even back uh, in France uh, in League One. He should go mm. to Spurs. It'll be a great time. I, you know, I, <laughs> Sarah, I, that's why I said he's so connected with Arsenal. But I think he would be of benefit at Spurs or Chelsea for that matter. He'd be called Judas if that ever happened. I, I don't, don't think, think he'll, he'll ever go to Spurs, yeah. though. No, he, he Chelsea wouldn't. probably, but not Spurs. Yeah. Yeah. Hey guys, very quickly, I want to jump back to internationals uh, because, you know, it's international weekend. And, and one, one thing that's just really been on my mind, which is, uh, well, two things. One is that Gianni Infantino, the head of, uh, the president of the world, he, uh, he got in uh, with a landslide re-election to be the, the presidente. And uh, with, in a kind of North Korean style uh, voting system. <laughs> and uh, we're going to have a World Cup with 48 teams. And, Sean, I mean, you're shaking your head already, and I am too. 48 teams. That's... What? I mean, <laughs> it's not just the idea of 48 teams. It's the idea of the next five years or so where footballers are going to be playing pretty much every week for the next five years. I think Rafa Varane, United's defender, came out and said a few days ago, you're going to hamper and ruin the career of a lot of young players. Their careers are not going to be long because of this, because they're going to be playing every week. Injuries are bound to happen. Being tired is no longer an option because you're expected to play 
every week. You look at earlier this week about Gareth Southgate, you know, being coy about the whole Marcus Rashford thing where he pulls out and then goes to New York. Man has played 41 games this season. If he wants to leave, he can leave. But the, the idea of playing more games, it's not to the benefit of the player or to the fans. It's to the benefit of FIFA and UEFA and all these organizational bodies because at the end of the day, they're just going to get more money. So I don't see any benefit to this except for the governing bodies. Yeah, and to add on, why fix a system if it's not broke? The World Cup in Qatar was such an absolute amazing tournament with 32 teams. With 48, you might have, and we've spoken in, in during the World Cup that now the standard of the 32 teams have sort of diminished. No? So we don't see those single, well, those you know one-sided games where one big country absolutely annihilates the other team. Now we see really close matches and that's what we want to see. Unfortunately, with it being expanded to 48 teams, I think we'll go back to the double-digit scoring or high single-digit scoring of the previous World Cups that we've seen before, which brings of no interest to the fans as well. And 48, they will be even during the... Remember in Qatar, the final matches of the group were so exciting. All of them. There were very, very few dead rubbers. When you go to 48 teams, there will be a number of dead rubbers that nobody will want to see. And I think it's to the detriment of the organizers as well, because how much money can you get out of these matches? Uh, I totally disagree with 48, but yeah, uh, maybe I'm just a traditionalist. So FIFA's main interest is money. You heard it here first. Breaking news headline. Uh, Okay, we move on. And in a moment, we're going to be much more positive here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. More football when we come back. Just for Kicks, BFM 89.9. Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. Welcome back to part four of Just for Kicks with me and Sean and Azran. And now we're going to take this opportunity with the International Week to expand out and talk about football more in general. I guess the EPL. But I want us to be more positive. We, it's easy for us pundits to uh, to, to, to slag everybody off and, and shake mm. our heads. And, uh, but I want us to look at the season so far, including the World Cup, because that was in the season. I don't know if you guys remember. Uh, and, and, and be positive and look at, for instance... Sean, I want to ask you, in terms of the best, we mentioned earlier when England were playing, we, we mentioned Saka and Sako, Sako, and how he's been a revel. Well, not a revelation. We knew that he had the talent, but he is a very good player. Is is he the for you the standout player of the season in the EPL Stroke World Cup? I wouldn't say the World Cup, but I would say in the EPL without a shadow of a doubt, because he's Arsenal through and through. He's come through the academy. He's shown from day one that he had the talent to make it at the top. You know, he's the one of three players, I think, in the Premier League to have scored double-digit goals and also assisted, you know, double digits. If I was an Arsenal fan, I look at him and I go, we got to tie him down. His contract ends in 2024. Give him a big contract. He needs to stay. He has to be the focal point of our team moving forward. Bukayo Saka has everything it takes to reach the very top of the football game, not just in the Premier League, but in Europe. I think the boy is that good. But you have to give, I think, a lot more credit to to Mikel Ateta in that sense. He's promoted youth in that team. He's given a chance to the youngsters in that team to express themselves. Some question how he, you know, let Saliba go out on loan last season when he was ready for the Premier League. He's come back and he's looked solid. So you can say that was a great decision from Mikel Ateta, right? It's not just Saka, but he is unbelievable. Uh, why Why is he unbelievable? I think uh, it's just innate talent. Innate talent to, to express what does, himself. What does he do? What does he do? <laughs> I mean, what does he, 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 
he supply he, he he's great at assists, mm-hmm. but um, and he's he's pretty good at running pass players. Uh, I mean, what is what is his superpower? I I would think it's just mentality monster, right? Something Jurgen Klopp used to say about his players is that they were all mentality monsters. Talent is one thing. Talent can only get you so far, but you've also got to be a very smart football player. He knows how to 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 get into channels that no one is looking at. He knows how to create for those who are getting into channels. So if he moves out of position, he frees up Ben White to make an overlap. If he frees up position, Martinelli can go across. It's in sync with all the players. I think it's all about mentality in that sense. That's why it's spread across that entire Arsenal team that they work so well together in tune with each other. And another thing I like about Saka is he avoids the front pages of the newspapers. He's focused on his football. He's, you know, I mean, I, I wish Saka the best. Uh, and definitely he is one of the favourites to win Player of the Year, especially if Arsenal wins this the league this season, which I think there's a strong possibility that they will. Saka will be the Player of the Season because he's been absolutely phenomenal. He's done everything right this season. For some bizarre reason, the player of the season is voted in sort of like September or something. <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know if they've heard of the emails and the internet, but it takes a long time to tabulate the uh, results. Uh, Asran, best team. I mean, team as in as in a surprise package, as in they've moved they've done moved a step forward. Um, it, again, it's not so much of a surprise for me. I, I think we've all, all also we will include the interna- international teams, mm, right? Please, yeah. I think France. Uh, Again, people thought that they peaked uh, early uh, under Didier Deschamps. Nobody gave them a chance in the World Cup, and yet they came this close. I think if you talk about individual performance, Kylian Mbappe's performance in the final against Argentina was one for the ages. I mean, very rarely. I think you spoke about it earlier. Someone scoring a hat-trick in the final of the World Cup and yet fall on the losing side. But I think that's the magic of Lionel Messi's Argentina squad. I think that's all done and dusted. I don't see Argentina repeating that fact in the next four years. I don't think they've got a team strong enough to do so. But this France team, I I think I spoke about it earlier. I see them. I tip them as favourites to go on in the next coming championships. First, starting in the European Championships in Germany next year, as well as in the next couple of years in US and Canada for the World Cup. Because they've got a really, really good young core who have done it, who knows, and they've got strength all across. So the French national team, for me, is is one to look out for. I think they will create their own dynasty in the next coming years. And uh, Sean, uh, I want to ask you about the best match. What's the best match you've seen, uh, club and internationals, and why was it the final of the World Cup? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, my best match... It's got to be the World Cup final, like you said. I mean, I could be biased and say it was a United game against Liverpool or against City, but I would have to go for that World Cup final. The reason being, I've seen a few World Cup finals in my time and normally there's always one standout team that probably, you know, you could say definitely deserved to win kind of thing. But this was a game that had everything. It had the drama, it had the suspense, it had the talent. It had Kylian Mbappe scoring a hat-trick in the final, which is in my lifetime is the first time I've seen a player score a hat-trick in the final. And yet he didn't win, like Astron said earlier. You had Lionel Messi being crowned a world champion after all this time and finally silencing all those people who said he didn't win it, you know, he didn't win it at the big time. You had Kylian Mbappe, you know, silencing his haters who, you know, mainly are Real Madrid fans because he didn't go to them. And it, it had everything. It had Emi Martinez being a... I can't say the word on radio, but a complete, you know, something. And 
because of him, the rules for goalkeepers have now changed. And I I, I would say it's one of the best games I've watched, not only this season, but in my lifetime. Even I think it was a tournament of the ages. And so it's a shame that we'll see 48 teams and, you know, it, that will sort of disrupt the balance that we had in this in the previous edition of the World Cup, which we all loved. Asran, will you say it's a shame if uh, Malaysia qualify? Haha, <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't. <laughs> so again, so it's but the best thing that ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> even with forty-eight teams, unfortunately, I see Malaysia is a bit too far off from there. Uh, I think we were lucky enough to scrape through the Asian Cup uh, when it was expanded to more teams, uh, but the World Cup seems a really, really far off destination for us at this point of time. Yeah, yeah. Again, uh, Kim Pangwon has brought the team to, I suppose, I hope upwards and onwards. We saw the game against Turkmenistan. It wasn't the most, the best of games, but I think with Kim Pangwon, he now he has an idea of who his best players are, and we're lucky enough to have a couple of good naturalized players. Unfortunately, some of them like Paulo Josue, uh, is towards their tail end of their career at 33 years old. I think Josue has probably got one tournament max uh, in front of him. Uh, but I think even we saw that uh, recently in the um, Mitsubishi Cup when even uh, without the players from JDT, Kim Pangon managed to steady the ship, brought Malaysia to a respectable semi-final finish. Uh, we are heading towards the right direction, but we've seen a couple of false dawns before this. I hope this is not another one. All right. Okay, you heard it here for <laughs> Sadly, Malaysia's not going to make it to the 48 World Cup, 48 team World Cup. Hey, I'm going to end with the last one. This is a very difficult one because my memory, I can't remember like last week in football. But I'm going to ask you, goal of the season for you, the thing that caught your elbow, both of them are like, oh my God, what year are we in? Um, Sean, I can't name one myself, but I'm going to, I trust you guys to know they're both really, <laughs> a, you know, a goal, uh, a player who scored a goal. Uh, Sean. That Whoa, is, that one, is so hard. There's so many good goals this season. It, it's funny because you've seen so many goals, right? But when your brain has to think of one exact goal, it really like stumps you. I think I'd have to go with, Ooh. you know what? I'll, I'll, I'll be biased in the sense it wasn't a very beautiful goal, but it was a significant goal. Casemiro's header against Chelsea. It's not a beautiful goal. It's not a outstanding long-range shot, bicycle kick, none of that. But it kicked off what United fans consider one of the best midfielders in the Premier League this season, and he plays for Manchester United. That kicked things off in a big sense for United season. So I would say that was my favourite goal in a biased sense. Because <laughs> he's been a key player and he has scored goals. Was that really the beginning of his... Can we mark it as that? Uh, I, I would consider it because when he first came in, he wasn't starting. He was on the bench. He wasn't even coming on as a sub. It was Scott McTominay who was starting ahead of him. And everyone started to question, what's going on? Does Eric Ten Hag know what he's doing? Did he just bring him in and then this player isn't performing in training, isn't doing well? Started in the Europa League, looked kind of shaky. And then you slowly saw him you know, start more and play more minutes and then the form started to come out and then everyone started to see like, this is the real Casemiro we know. And then that goal against Chelsea, mind you, in that game against Chelsea, he was United's best player and he topped it off with a last second equaliser. Okay. All right. Asran, I'm going to guess any of the goals scored, any of the, one of the seven goals scored against <laughs> Manchester United? That, that, would be, that would have been my first pick. <laughs> but I think in since we're International Week and everything else, I think Mbappe's goal that he took it first time in the World Cup final, I think that was his first goal before the penalty. I think that was the goal that 
sort of galvanized the game. It made the game a game. It made the game the best game arguably ever. And how he did it, I mean, mm. at that young age, just he took it like really, literally like the ball bounced once and he just banged it straight into the net. So I would say that goal because of the value that it brought towards the game and it made the game the best game that we've ever seen. So I would say that goal. Yeah. I'm going to go with the Dutch free kick. Uh, and the oh. dying minutes of Oof. their match. There was like, that is oh, another great crazy. one. Crazy. What are you doing? Fun break horse. Yeah. Okay. Give me a number more. After that, you'd yeah. pissed uh, Lionel Messi off for sure. Yeah. Okay. Well, that brings us to the end of uh, this week's show where we did internationals and EPL. But next week, guys, it's back to club football. You'll all be very happy, I'm sure. And uh, so I'd like to thank Azran Rosane. Thank you. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much, everyone. Looking forward to the big game, City against Liverpool this weekend. Are you really looking forward to that? Uh, of course, of course. We've beaten City <laughs> twice, twice this season. Both games we've beaten City. So Liverpool turns up against the big matches. It's the uh, Fulham that I'm scared of. After okay, that. all right. And uh, thank you, Sean Mahotra. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Looking forward to this weekend's games. Aside from, you know, Liverpool playing City, there's also the big game in the Bundesliga between Dortmund and Bayern Munich. All right, we'll have to come back to you for that one. <laughs> and I'd like to thank today's producer, Daryl Ong. And I am Cam Ruslan. And please join us next time here on Just for Kicks on BFM 89.9. Football tune in Mondays and Fridays at 8 p.m. Just for kicks on BFM 89.9. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.